You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. One of the reasons I believe the Holy Spirit drew me to preach on the book of James is because the content of this letter written by one of the early leaders in the church, Jesus' stepbrother, speaks so directly into this moment in which we find ourselves. 2020 has been a year unlike any other we've experienced in a long time. I mean, we continue to face the ongoing threat of a global pandemic. Racial tensions within this country continue to escalate before repeated examples of injustice and inequity. The world economy has taken a blow that it's likely gonna take years from which to recover. And the political divide appears to be ever widening as polarization rather than unity to find the citizenry in most nations, including ours. During this unconventional time of uncertainty in the world, most of us find ourselves perpetually tired and anxious, living in a constant state of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Many of us are increasingly frustrated with how things are being handled, even as we struggle with knowing for sure what the right answers are. As we turn back to the words of James today, he begins with a timely question. Who is wise and understanding among you? Isn't that exactly what we need right now? Wisdom and understanding. If there was ever a time wisdom was needed, isn't this the one? But as we're about to hear, this question from James is in fact a challenge. Do we actually know what true wisdom is? In the midst of a lot of foolishness, both being spoken and enacted around us, perhaps even by us, do we understand where wisdom comes from? These are the questions James is going to answer for us today. What wisdom is and what it isn't where we can find the right kind of wisdom, and from where we need to stop looking for wisdom, how to recognize true wisdom when we have it, and most importantly, how to put such wisdom into action. Let's listen to James, chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Good morning, Grace. Uh, It's good to see you all. Um, I hope everyone's doing good, and uh, I'm about to read a passage from James. Wisdom from above. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambitions exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what exactly is wisdom? James starts by giving us an indirect answer to this question. Wisdom, he declares, is shown by a good life, by deeds done, and the humility that comes from wisdom. So first of all, James redefines wisdom itself for us. Wisdom is not something we merely think we have. It's not about our brain power or intellectual cleverness. It's something different. The Bible, in fact, teaches us a great deal about wisdom and knowledge, and the Word of God goes out of its way to show us 
that there is a distinction between wisdom and knowledge. If we're open and receptive, there's an abundance of knowledge that we can acquire and accumulate about any number of various topics. But the Bible's clear, a person can gain a great deal of knowledge, but not have or exercise wisdom. For James, wisdom isn't just about having knowledge or even insight gleaned from knowledge. Wisdom is revealed in actually applying the knowledge, the insight we've been given. Wisdom, James emphasizes, must be shown or demonstrated in action through our behaviors and more specifically, our relationships with others. Simply put, wisdom is knowledge and insight being worked out, lived out, according to James, by a good life. Now, when James speaks of a good life, he isn't talking about our definition of the good life. When we invoke notions of the good life, we primarily mean what's good to or for me, our comfort, our pleasure, our satisfaction. But what James means by a good life is living in a good way. The exact word James uses here that's translated as good evokes this kind of life that is attractive in its wholeness and helpfulness, in its expression of good, not primarily for the benefit of oneself, but for the betterment of everyone. This definition reinforces James's argument that wisdom is shown through good conduct, not doing what we can to stay out of trouble, but doing what we can to be right, to practice living rightly. And James, for now, only hints at what right living looks like as he references deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. And this may sound a bit like a circular statement. Wisdom is shown by a good life of deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. <laughs> but what James is implying here that he'll explicitly state later in this passage is that wisdom comes from above, from heaven. In other words, true wisdom is, like everything else, a gift from God. We might remember all the way back at the start of this letter, in chapter 1, verse 5, James insisted, If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And how do we receive this wisdom from God? James tells us, through a posture of humility. Humility is the result of yielding before the grace of God, accepting that we are unable to achieve anything on our own, including wisdom. Humility is submitting to the image of God, the character of Christ that presses upon our tendency to try and do things our way, instead of relying on the direction and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The book of Proverbs, which is a great conversation partner with James, puts it this way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Our humble acknowledgement of God that we are following the way he sets before us is revealed through our humble service towards others, good deeds done in the gentleness of wisdom. It's not that performing good deeds is what makes us wise. Rather, our good deeds are a response to the wisdom the Lord gives us. Our good deeds reflect that we are living wisely, that we are living out of and sharing the grace we have been given with others. To put this another way, True wisdom is not only the God-given ability to see how in all our ways we may acknowledge God, it is actually acknowledging God in all our ways. Now, before James goes further in breaking down true wisdom, offering us positive examples so that we can recognize it in practice, he clarifies through two negative examples of what is not true wisdom from God. Two specific dispositions are highlighted, harboring bitter envy and selfish ambition in one's heart. First, James decries any sort of wisdom that promotes attacking or hurting others in order to get ahead. While we may all struggle with momentary flashes of envy, the bitter envying James calls out here is anything but a struggle or a momentary flash. 
It's a fixed disposition of jealousy that cannot bear another person's achievement or success so much that bitterness marks their envy. Meaning that whether given the opportunity to or not, such a person will carp, criticize, humiliate, and degrade the one he or she envies in order to bring that person down. The so-called wisdom of this approach is that in that person's loss, failure, or total destruction, I gain a victory. The victory of at least not having to see that person being better off than me. But to act in this way is not a reflection of wisdom. It's a byproduct of one's fear and insecurity. Inseparably paired with bitter envy, James says, is selfish ambition. Now, to be clear, the Bible teaches we can and we should be ambitious. Ambition, the desire to pursue honor or esteem, is in and of itself not wrong. The distinction is in what or whom we seek honor or esteem. Wisdom is seeking to honor and esteem or glorify God. Wisdom is bringing glory to God by honoring and esteeming the dignity and worth of others. Selfish ambition is about pursuing honor, esteem, and glory for oneself, primarily and often solely oneself. The so-called wisdom of selfish ambition believes there can only be one winner and one loser. Selfish ambition perceives the world in terms of us versus them. The us are those who support and benefit what's best for me. The them are those who stand in the way or compete with my interests. Again, the wisdom here is the only way to get ahead is to take no prisoners, to take down those in front of you. James says one way you can recognize the display of this kind of false wisdom is those who exercise it will either boast about it or they'll patently deny it. Have we ever encountered anyone who fits this description, who either brags about their prowess in besting others, calling them losers, or who boldface denies such tactics, that what drives their ambition is their own ego? James once again goes for the jugular as he asserts such wisdom, did you notice the air quotes in your Bible here, is earthly, unspiritual, and downright demonic. To break down James's blistering critique by earthly, James means this wisdom comes not from the counsel of God, but from the fractured insight of a broken world, a world that lives apart or divorced from God's will. By unspiritual, James means this wisdom is purely temporal of a limited perspective, perceiving only the expediency of the moment, but lacking a view of the long-term consequences, an eternal perspective. By demonic, James means this wisdom isn't just a counter-wisdom or an alternative to divine wisdom. It's directly, vehemently, and violently in opposition to God's will. So it's not just false wisdom. It's ungodly wisdom. Hear this loud and clear, church. Bitter envying and selfish ambition aren't just character flaws or postures we normalize for those exercising certain types of leadership. The practice of such behaviors, engaging relationships in this way, and endorsing the wisdom of those who do is ungodly and demonic. I didn't say that. James did. The Bible does. But perhaps we're wondering, how do we know? How do we recognize the wrong kind of wisdom? And James tells us directly, once again, it's all about the fruit. What we sow is evidenced by what we reap. False, ungodly wisdom, wisdom divorced from the grace of the Spirit, is witnessed through its product of chaos and destruction, division and strife, even evil, often happening, ironically, tragically, in the name of God. Where am I getting that idea from? Well, notice how James takes great pains to separate this wisdom from the wisdom that is from heaven. And to this end, G. James presents us with a list of eight characteristics of God-given wisdom, identifying virtues that stand in contrast to the vices of false ungodly wisdom. 
And if you take a general look at this list, you ought to notice how it mirrors passages in Paul's letters that speak of the Christian way of life. Passages like, say, Paul's description of true love in 1 Corinthians 13, or his articulation of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, or his outline of a godly mindset in Philippians chapter 4, or his presentation of the lifestyle of the new person who is in Christ in Colossians chapter 3. The point I'm making is this isn't some random list. True godly wisdom isn't hard to recognize once you know what you're looking for. True wisdom, like false wisdom, is recognizable by its outcome. God-given wisdom, James says, is pure, meaning it's transparent, honest, and without a hidden agenda. There's no guile or deceit of any kind in its expression. Wisdom born of God offers counsel for the betterment of all and not to manipulate others for one's own ends. James says, next, God-given wisdom loves and promotes peace. It seeks unity, not uniformity. It can accept and celebrate diversity, even as it appeals to greater points of commonality, that we're all children created in the image of God, that we've all been forgiven and extended the grace of God in Jesus Christ, that our God desires that none of his children would suffer or perish, and that we share a common calling from God to care for each other. Thirdly, James says, godly wisdom is considerate, meaning it's fair, it's just, it's patient, engaging with gentleness and respect with others, even if I don't like or agree with that person. And fourthly, godly wisdom is submissive, James writes, meaning it's reasonable, it's teachable, it's willing to listen and to be responsive to the needs of others. Fifth, James goes on, God-given wisdom is full of mercy, meaning it's active both in expressing more than just pity or remorse, but embodying empathy and compassion. Sixth, James says godly wisdom bears good fruit, practical, tangible manifestations of God's goodness, not only in one's life, but extended to others through one's life. James says God-given wisdom is impartial in the sense of being unwavering and consistent, not playing both sides of an issue or a person. And finally, James describes godly wisdom as sincere, meaning it bears integrity. It's not hypocritical. It practices what it preaches. So who wants wisdom? Everyone should raise their hand. I mean, I have not met anyone who said they were not interested in having wisdom. Nobody wants to be a fool. We all want wisdom. But the question is, what is the source of the wisdom we have? If there was ever a time for this word from James to sink in, it would be now more than ever. Because there's a lot of bravado going around about greatness these days. There's lots of competing claims being thrown about about who has wisdom and who doesn't. What James says is, show the wisdom you claim to have through the deeds that you do, and they ought to look like the work of Jesus. So we need to step back and soberly reflect on the leaders we follow, our mentors, our role models, anyone to whom we listen and get informed by. We need to step back and consider all the various outlets which shape and form our perception and understanding of reality. All the sources of news, trends, opinions, interpretations that influence how we see ourselves, how we see each other, and how we see the world around us. And then we need to evaluate the content and the character of all these sources of wisdom against the two lists James has provided for us here. If the sources of our wisdom are marked by jealousy, envy, bitterness, selfish ambition, boasting, denial, chaos, and disorder, then wake up and realize you're not smart. You're not wise. You're acting like a fool. We all want wisdom, but we're not all following God-given wisdom these days. Did we notice 
Did we notice what all these characteristics of God-given wisdom hold in common? As James describes it, they're all about how we interact with others. The focus is outward, looking first to God, and then out of what God gives us to exercise what we are given, the wisdom we receive for the care and well-being of others. This is the complete opposite of the other wisdom James described. The focus of false, ungodly wisdom is entirely inward focus. It starts with me and it ends with me. It evaluates and measures everything in terms of what's in it for me, what's best for me. False, ungodly wisdom is so self-consumed that there's no thought, there's no view, there's no room for anyone else, including God. The source of this wisdom that James describes as being demonic, coming from hell, goes all the way back to a garden called Eden. This false, ungodly wisdom was whispered to our first ancestors, Adam and Eve, when they were told to trust in themselves alone, apart from God. And my brothers and sisters, we follow their lead every time we claim self-reliance, to be self-determined, to be self-sufficient. We mimic their foolishness every time we insist on being self-centered, self-promoting, and yes, self-absorbed. James says, Paul says, Jesus says, the Proverbs say, the whole Bible says, there is no true wisdom in a self-serving person. A person who has not checked himself, denied himself, and given himself over to the grace of God and the service of his neighbor does not know, does not practice true wisdom. This is because God-given wisdom isn't something for us to acquire and keep to ourselves as some sort of special secret knowledge. If that's what we think godly wisdom is, then I'm sorry to tell you, you don't have it. There's something interesting about this passage, fascinating to me. While James describes God-given wisdom what it looks like. He never defines it as a concept. James never gives us any instructions, do this and you'll be wise. This is because true wisdom isn't a concept, it's a person. It's Jesus. Jesus is the personification of divine wisdom, of what it looks like when our humanity reflects and abides in God's will perfectly. The wisdom of God that declares defiantly and victoriously through the cross and the resurrection that despite our continued disbelief, truth and love are not mutually exclusive. And here's the thing, in Jesus giving himself to us, in embracing Christ, Christ in us through the Holy Spirit, we have received the wisdom of God. We already have it. Wisdom is a gift of God's grace. And like all gifts of God's grace, wisdom has to be exercised for us to benefit from it, in order for others to be blessed by the fruit of that divine wisdom. God-given wisdom is exercised not from being in control of our lives. God-given wisdom is exercised through yielding control and being led by the Word and the Spirit. The more we follow Jesus, the closer we pay attention to the Word of God, the deeper we allow ourselves to be influenced and guided by the Holy Spirit, then the wiser we will become. The more we will actualize, we will practice wisdom in and through our lives. And that God-given wisdom will be evidenced not by our words, but through the humble work we do for the good of others and not just for the good of ourselves. Our God-given wisdom will be recognizable, as James declares at the end of this passage, through our ability to make peace with each other, to get along even when we don't agree. And it will be evidenced by our ability to harvest righteousness together, to put aside our own pursuits of glory for the betterment of all people. Together we will sow the seeds of salvation and yield the fruit of the Spirit and thus bring glory to God. 
So church, what's it going to be for such a time as this, in a moment like ours, with all that is going on in our world right now? Are we going to wise up or are we going to keep being played for fools?